Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And Merry Christmas from all of us. Uh, that's what people do. And when I say all of us, I mean me, James Kay, and Ryan McGowan. How are you, Ryan? I'm good. I'm feeling festive. Um, at the time of recording, there's only like a day or two left before we're all off for Christmas. Um, mm. And yeah, the office is weirdly quiet. Um, all of the desks are booked. You have to book a desk at my place. All of them oh. are booked and not a single person's in it because they're all booked off. So it's like, right, just cancel your bloody thing anyway. Anyway, um, it's nice. Everyone dishes. Everyone comes around with sweets and they're like, oh, would you like a sweet? It's Christmas. And you're like, yeah, yeah go it's on such then, a yeah. pointless working week. Nobody does anything. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I mean, my own boss has just been like, you know, oh, oh Friday, I work from home. Um, uh, work from home. And my boss was like, yeah, fr- just... Friday's all about making yourself just look like you're busy. Don't worry about it. Cool. Nice. Thanks, boss. <laughs> that's the key to working. And then anyone that's unfortunate enough to work the week in between Christmas and New Year, that is also a week of doing absolute fuck all as well because no one wants to be there. Do you know what? I have the utmost sympathy for anyone who works uh, shift pattern, uh, shift work or, or customer facing roles or yeah. attractions, anything like that, because you and I have both done it for years yeah. and... I this is the first time in my working life that I've ever had a Christmas like where my job has just said well no it's Christmas you have that off yeah oh. I think it's, it's my second year at this job so I'm I like it but yeah we, we've both been in the trenches facing customers at Christmas because people just become fucking rabid at Christmas don't they like oh, they God. treat service workers like utter shit even though it's the worst time of year for them that's the thing and that's like kind of like what I was sort of aiming at really is that I don't understand how people, when they go to a shop, become bellends. Like, I don't know yeah. what it is about going to a shop or receiving a service that just turns everyone into an arsehole. Um, you know, as someone who's worked all that kind of stuff, I have the utmost sympathy and respect for anyone who is 
working throughout Christmas in those environments because you have had it rough, my friends. Yeah, get out while you can. But also, like, if you're a customer, what do you think being mean to a service worker is going to, like, do for you? Are they not going to give you better treatment? Oh, God, yeah. Do you know what? For the most part as well, <coughs> um, they can't do anything about whatever it is you're complaining about. Like, I'm telling you now, if, if you are if you are that kind of person and you're listening right now, I'm telling you right now that poor employee doesn't want to not give you a refund. They want you to have your money back. I'm telling you now, that's what they want. Yeah, because it would be easier for but, them to give you what you want so you fuck absolutely. off. Absolutely. I'm telling you what they can't do right now is give you a refund. So if they say something to you, I'm telling you now, it's not because they are being knobs and they're just being like difficult with you. It's because they literally cannot do the thing that you want them to do right now. So don't have a go at them because you're wasting your breath and you're work, like ruining their day. The amount of yeah. times that like, when I worked at the go-kart track, people would be like, I hated that session. It was absolutely awful. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, do you want to come back for free? And they're like, uh, uh, yes. I'm like, there you go. Done. Sweet. We used to do a thing. Yeah. So like the company I worked for, you didn't get, it, it, it had like a no refund policy because, like, you know, for the most part, if your race was bad, that was your opinion rather than necessarily yeah. fact. So they didn't give you refunds. But what they do is like um, reimburse you sort of like as a credit what you just paid. So if you paid like 50 or quid to go race in, we'll give you that back in credit. You can use that to read books. You basically get to come for free. Um, yeah, that's decent. And I used to dish them out like sweets. Anyone came next, like anyone came near me with a face that looked like a slapped ass. I was like, do you want to come back again and do it for free? And they're like, yes. I'm like, yeah, we go. <laughs> Give me a good five star review. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. yeah, dude, just be like, go easy on these people, man. Uh, how do yeah. you get onto that? It's Christmas, man. It's Christmas it songs. Christmas. How can you be it a knobhead is. when there's Christmas songs playing? It's because everyone leaves their Christmas shopping to last minute and then gets stressed. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, at the time of recording, I still haven't finished. I only need to buy for my mum. And the only reason I need to do that is because I've asked her for weeks, what do you want? And every time it's, oh, I don't know. I don't really want anything. What good is that? That's helping nobody. <laughs> because her birthday yeah. was on the 10th. And like, I got her a really nice gift for her birthday. But I really just, after that, I was like, oh, fuck, I, I don't know what to do now. Um, yeah, that was a rookie I'll, era, that. I'll, I'll get her a voucher for something. It's the easiest way to go, in it? Sounds good. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I hope everyone else is uh, ready for Christmas. And well, I think it's, well, when is it going out? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know, but in truth, that's what people do start with a Christmas episode. And we started it by moaning for five minutes, which is yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone. We are the Scrooges. If you don't know who Scrooge is, you can go back to our Charles Dickens episode and I talk all about who the real Scrooge is. You do. Hey, that was a good plug. That was a good one, and which hopefully segues us into the actual episode. Yes, because who you probably, is Charles Dickens in this episode as well? Charles Dickens is in this episode. He oh. features. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? So wow. you probably noticed that I introed it today, which you haven't heard for since, since Spartacus, I think, which was September, October Damn. time. So yeah, so you're probably thinking, wow, James. And yes, I've actually written an episode, which is crazy. So you've got my voice to enjoy for the next <laughs> hour or so. If I'm being honest, I didn't have a clue what to do for a Christmas episode this year. I, I genuinely spent days stewing over what to do. 
Um, and every bit of research either led me to episodes that we've already done or ones that would fill about 10 minutes of time. Because I looked and we really shot ourselves in the foot in the first year because we did Dickens 1 and 2. We did um, The Christmas Truce. We did another Christmas episode. Like We did like three in the first year when what we should have done is done one <laughs> and really helped ourselves out. Um, so we're struggling. Last year we did St. Nick, which obviously that how that was a year ago is crazy because I, I remember sitting there writing that. Um, and this yeah. year I genuinely didn't know what to do I at one point I thought maybe I'll do Jesus and immediately I backed away from that <laughs> idea as interesting as that would be I wouldn't even know where to start yeah. um, so I toyed with the different idea, ideas of like filling episodes full of different Christmas stories but also that would just be really chaotic it doesn't really fit what we do and I have no idea how we would title it or package it for social media so that idea also went down the bin down the bin into the bin down the toilet um i cast my mind back to previous christmases to see what we've done previously so last year like i mentioned we did saint nicholas so i looked into the opposite of that for krampus and although the story is incredibly interesting it's rooted in a lot of fiction i was really struggling to find the truthful people angle to it um but if anyone does want that let us know maybe we can do like a short 15 minute sort of one hit us up on socials we have other Christmas episodes, such as the Lawson Family Massacre. Uh, that was a bit of true crime. Oh, yeah. uh, we did the Christmas Truce. We did Charles Dickens. So then I thought, I looked at Dickens and I thought, hmm, he is not really related to Christmas, but he is linked to it because of his publication of A Christmas Carol. And I thought, that's how we did Dickens as a Christmas episode. So I thought, well, there's got to be more authors that do Christmas stories. And for whatever reason, I kept coming back to Disney films because that's what we all watch now. And although set in summer, Frozen is obviously just sort of watched in Christmas because it's about ice and things that are frozen. Um, and alongside this, one of the most harrowing stories, for me anyway, uh, at Christmas time, is The Little Match Girl. And if you don't know the story, this is going to come right at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. Um, and I thought, well... I remember once in my youth watching a film about Hans Christian Andersen with my brother, and I remember nothing about it. So I decided to do some research on the Danish author Hans Christian Andersen, and it turns out his life was pretty mad. Andersen is often described as chaotic, and although his life didn't pan out in the way he would have liked, as he searched so desperately for a fairy tale ending, he would leave behind stories that connected with millions of hearts across the globe, and even nowadays his works are much loved. One thing that should be noted from the off is that Disney grabbed hold of Anderson's works and made them a lot safer for children to be involved with. For example, in the modern-day Little Mermaid, Ariel and Eric live happily ever after, whereas in Anderson's original story, Ariel goes to kill Eric, but when she's unable to do so, she ends up sacrificing herself by returning to the sea. They Damn. didn't have that in the new movie. Doesn't as well, she like, um, she can't walk or something. Like, so to, walk, get, but... to get her legs, um, the sea witch says, well, you can't have a voice, so cuts out her tongue. Yeah, but isn't there like a part of the story or something near the end or something where she's like dancing and her feet, she has like stabbing pains throughout her legs and feet. I'm, I imagine, I walks. didn't read the story, but probably it's it's all pretty <laughs> fucked up. It's also like, like, yeah. like the Grim Brothers, isn't it? Yeah, Christian Anson stuff's all dark, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, it's stories that we all know. Like if you love The Emperor's New Groove, I think that's an amazing film, um, then Anderson's Emperor's New Clothes to thank for it. But for some reason, Disney decided to add a fucking llama into it. Why? Huh. I don't know, but that was their choice. 
So whether you know it or not, you are probably familiar with most of Anderson's works, like The Ugly Duckling. But who was the man behind the stories? Anderson was born on April 2nd, 1805 in Odense, Denmark. Odense? Odense? Don't know. You've been to Denmark, haven't you, Ron? I have been to Denmark. I've seen the Little Mermaid statue. Yeah. Is it Odense or is it Odense? I don't know. I didn't go there. Okay. Well done. (laughs) His father died when he was 11, and although the family were not wealthy, Anderson would receive the best education possible at private boarding schools. His parents had a strong input on his character, and his father would instill a love for poetry into the young Anderson, while his mother would pass on her love for mythical creatures. And now I'm about to say something that we very rarely say on this podcast. His family were all incredibly loving and supportive. Oh, wow. Just let that sink in for a minute. It's not often you hear us say that. That genuinely is like a, ah, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. No issues there whatsoever. Everyone was great. Everyone helped him grow up. Even like his grandmother. Everyone was so loving and supported him for exactly who he wanted to be. Hmm. Mad. Yeah, took me by surprise. Very as well. rare for that time. Like most, yeah. like you get like a a dad who's absent in this, especially like in this era. And like you know, it's, I think it's fair to say like we do, you know, people that have done horrendous stuff and and other nicer people. So you know, there are some parents, but for his time and age, dad probably wouldn't be that interested. Generally, would like just work all the time and only come home every now and then, sort of look at his son and be like, "You are gonna surpass me one day, but that won't be today." And then like yeah. the mother will just have. Uh, a wet nurse that just sort of you know a, a nanny that will bring up the kid for her um yeah that's nice yeah i think it helped that well, i'll say helps that they were quite a poor family so everyone sort of had to be hands-on they didn't really have staff oh right i assumed he was like upper class the, he becomes upper class and it spoiler alert becomes a bit of a dickhead about it brilliant so you can see the sort of strong family connection in a lot of his stories because he includes himself in a lot of his stories. And if remember this for the end, for the little match girl, remember his grandmother. He loved his grandmother and she's heavily involved in that story. So coming from his a poor family, his stories also often involve themes such as impoverished families finding their fortune, often at the downfall of those who were already rich. In his later life, Anderson published an autobiography that shed light on his childhood and it became clear that he struggled to find a place with other children his age. He mentioned that he had very little interest in joining in with the playground games and that he preferred to stay inside reading. He also had strong interests in things that most people would deem to be feminine, such as playing with dolls and dressing them up. His family supported this and before the passing of his father, his father would make him toys that suited his needs. That's nice. That's quite it rare is nice. as well. Yeah, everyone was just I know, great. Um, I know that um, we associate pink now as being a girly colour, but um, there was a period in time where pink was seen as a, a man's colour because it was just another variation of red. Um, yeah. And in time, pink has become associated with femininity and, and, and girls, and oh, that's that's not very manly. Um, but it used to be, and that's why they say, you know, they do say, you know, real men wear pink. And it's like, yeah, because real men used to wear pink. I quite like that he like played with dolls and stuff. I grew up with girls um, as as only having sisters, and although I had playstations and things like that, like I've never had an issue with, you know, like being becoming a theatre kid. I suppose, you know, I think you 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 are the same as well, James. That like, I've never yeah. been a- afraid or ashamed of 
dressing up or being effeminate and not being masculine. Yeah, I think that shows that we were supported, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. Although I do have a funny story. I think I must have told... I think I told this story on the show, didn't I? I said it would be like a treat, I would tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We know where we're going, right? So I'm dressing around... I'm dancing around to I'm Every Woman in my mum's nighty when I'm like six six or seven. (laughs) And my dad came in and was absolutely horrified and they soon... They split up afterwards. Now, I'm not saying that's my (laughs) fault, but... (laughs) um, I I remember he was not happy about it. And later on, years, like 10 years later, when I reconnected with my dad for a brief period of time, uh, I remember telling him... um, what kind of stuff I was doing at school. And I think he was expecting me to be like, oh, you know, I'm in the school football team. I'm this, that, the other. Um, but I was like, oh, no, I'm doing a drama for GCSEs. And he was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. doesn't get it. Like, it's he's not never going thing, to it? get it. Nah, not a man's thing. But yeah. Very happy the fact that I was an army cadet, though. He loved that. Yeah, so you can't entertain people, but you're allowed to kill people. No, no bother. Yeah. Yeah, which is funny because if you look back in you know history, a lot of soldiers like to put on panto shows and put in dresses and like you know POWs in mm. World War Two were all doing it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, anyway, Anderson was that kid at school who everyone would pick on <laughs> because they were a bit different. What didn't help is that the young author to be appeared to have an air about him that he believed himself to be superior to his classmates. He would often tell them how one day he would be rich and own a castle. I like that, Anderson. I mean, I like it, but like knowing what comes later, I think he probably was just a bit of an arrogant prick for no reason. Hmm, interesting. Anderson soon discovered a love for theatrics and would wish to go to Copenhagen to make it big as an actor. This love was found when he worked at a mill and he would sing for the other workers to entertain them. But one day he was accused of being a female due to his high vocal tones and his trousers were pulled down in front of many of his co-workers as they wanted to see what gender he was. Which Whoa. nowadays is sexual harassment, everyone. You can't do that anymore. Yeah, that is, that is, that's awful. How old is yeah. he? 14, I think. Damn, them formative years as well. Like, yeah. he, he, he has three pubes and he's named every single one of them. And they've just <laughs> whapped his trousers down in front of everyone just because he can sing high pitch. I used to be able to do the gingerbread man from Shrek. Can't do it anymore. <laughs> Whap my trousers down just because I could do that. Just to see. <laughs> <laughs> funny but to be fair at school did you ever have kegging oh yeah yeah all yeah the time. You just go up to people and just pull their trousers down and sometimes if your trousers are a little bit too tight you're like yeah your boxes or whatever got caught with it and then <laughs> so I, I i remember i have a vivid memory of one poor lad can't remember his name just standing there he was all sort of on this little wall bit and he got his trousers pulled down and his boxes came down with it and everyone just saw everything <laughs> like it was oh, awful no. See, oh, now, there's a difference between your own peers doing that, because that is a joke. It's maybe borderline bullying. If you were bullied in that way, I'm, I you know, I, I feel for you, but it is borderline just a joke. Um, uh, but to have grown adults who work in a mill do it to a 14-year-old kid, like, nah, that's weird, Yeah, that's, that's deep. It, you don't do that. Even with the blatant sexual harassment, Anderson headed off to Copenhagen in 1819. One thing that Anderson was good at was imposing himself on others. His journey was funded by those whom he entertained along the way, but when he got to the Danish capital, he was met with a pretty tricky dilemma. You see, Anderson put his reputation above all else. He was a very proud man, and there were things in his autobiography that he would just make up to make himself sound better, but there were also things that he would leave out because he felt like it was damaging to him. 
He intended oh, to live with enough. his aunt in... I mean, yeah, he's a storyteller, isn't he? He intended <laughs> um, to live Han- with his sorry, aunt... In- autobiography, Hans Christian Hansen is known to have a massive dong. <laughs> <laughs> There's a picture of it on the front cover. <laughs> yeah. oh, he intended to live with his aunt in Copenhagen, but once he found out that she was running a brothel, he basically attempted to delete all knowledge of this. And what's more, he even had a half-sister who was born out of wedlock before him, and he just ignored her entire existence for his entire adult life. And even when she died later down the line, he just did not go to the funeral, didn't care. Wow. So that is a bit of a dick move, because he's grown he's... up in a really loving home, and he's We're gonna, just a like, knob. The more we go on, the more you're probably going to like despise this man, but also like feel sorry for him at the same time. Hmm, Okay. So, Ryan, you and I both studied acting, and after graduation and struggling to get a good acting gig, like most actors out there, did a family member ever ask why you don't just, like, write to the BBC or turn up to a theatre unannounced <laughs> and just ask for a job? Did anyone ever ask that of you? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But you, you know you know why? Like, I used to get, um, like, parents and, and other family members or other people of a certain generation that when they were kids and they'd tell you this story they'd go oh if I wanted a job I just walked into the shop on a Saturday morning and said have you got any jobs and they'd hire you and you're like right yes but you also grew up in like the 70s and 80s when we like very famously came out of a terrible fucking recession where no one had any money there were jobs going everyone was unemployed like, of course you fucking did um, yeah. <laughs> you could have you walked up to the head of the BBC and said can I work here and they'd go yeah why not um, yeah the world is very also- different it also used to be a case of, oh, we'll see you on EastEnders soon. And you're like, right, okay, yeah. yeah. Now, if, uh, if, if we, we've got a big American audience, if you've never watched EastEnders, it's uh, very, it's a soap opera. Um, it's on every day and um, it's based in London. So anyone who's like Southern who wants to pursue a career in acting, you've heard that. Oh, we'll see you in EastEnders soon then. Ugh. Boring. yeah like that's the height of acting but i've also had the conversation my my, my grandparents especially i want you right to the bbc they'll hire you um but anyway we all just laugh it off because in our heads life just doesn't work like that however like you mentioned back in the day and also anderson just didn't get the memo because this is exactly what he did he would turn up unannounced at the front doors of wealthy homes and attempt to entertain them for money some people loved it some people fucking hated it He lived in a different world to everyone else and wanted so desperately for his life to be seen as a great story, like some of those he would go on to write, and he wanted to be the main character so badly. Enter Jonas Collin, one of the directors of the Theatre Royale in Copenhagen. Jonas had a son called Edvard, who Anderson took a liking to. The Collin family took young Anderson under their wing and would finance his endeavours. One thing that Anderson didn't account for was that as you got older, you started getting urges, and without having proper education about what to do with these urges, it can be quite confusing. You see, he found himself attracted to men, and as a deeply religious man, he didn't understand what was going on. He would write in his diary praying to God that he would have the strength to resist these sexual desires that were coming over him. In his formative years, Anderson was bullied for being feminine, and with his deep belief in God, he sort of just collapsed in on himself. So you've got this man here, desperate for a fairy tale romance and to be the main character in a story, but he has no desire to have sex with a woman, and to be a homosexual was obviously a no-no in the eyes of the Lord. Something else that didn't help was that he was a narcissist. He just wasn't able to form meaningful connections with anybody, because once they'd served their purpose to him, they were no longer needed. Huh, <laughs> that's uh, 
that you know people were gay back then that's absolutely fine but like to know that and uh, it, yeah i find that really interesting yeah he's just fully repressing it he still wanted edvard and he decided the best route to him was through the heart of his younger sister louise while he may not have wanted to be physical with a woman he had no issue pursuing their hearts and minds so while he would write romantic letters to Louise in an attempt to woo her, he would also just bluntly ask her for her help in getting Edvard to give in to him. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Uh, yeah, like, oh, I, I, I love you to the moon and back. You're the most beautiful woman in the world. By the way, is your brother free tonight? Yeah, what's your brother saying? <laughs> yeah. It's weird, strange behaviour. Um, yeah. But we now find ourselves in the age of romanticism. While homosexuality was still frowned upon, platonic romantic connections between men were being encouraged and men didn't have to treat each other like a threat anymore. Anderson liked this, but again he struggled to find one man to fully settle on. He just lacked the ability to forge genuine connections with other people just largely down to his character. Through it all, Anderson was desperate for Edvard, but Edvard was not into Anderson. This became a bit of a problem because Anderson quickly became like that annoying ex who just won't leave you alone. Anderson and Edvard never had any sort of romantic or physical connection and Edvard set his boundaries from the off. So when Edvard got engaged to a woman, Anderson would send him letters and poems where he would complain of a broken heart and say that Edvard would still come back to him and hopes that he would love him and kiss him in the way he deserves. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's so dumb it's really strange so what do you do when you love someone so deeply and they're not giving you the same energy back well the obvious answer is you write the little mermaid oh right because <laughs> he can never have the love that he really exactly wants. anderson by this point had become classifying himself as part woman and that's in quotes by the way that was in his uh, diary and this leaked into his books as he often based the strong female leads around himself. The original story of The Little Mermaid sees the mermaid, which was Anderson, making a deal with the sea witch that she could go on land with legs if she gave up her voice. While on land, she needs to win the affection of the prince and she would become immortal or she would be turned into sea foam. Edvard, the prince, chooses another human female lover and even after the mermaid sisters give her the knife to kill the prince so that she can use his blood to get her tail back, she just can't do it, and she becomes seafoam. This was Anderson's way of saying that he was from a different world from everyone else, and that he wanted to live in Edvard's world as his romantic partner happily ever after, but he was always to be shunned for another woman. It's quite, um, it's quite well put, um to be honest like he's him saying oh basically he's like i'm listen i i can't i can't connect to people for whatever reason i clearly come from a different fucking world like the wee mermaid and i'm never gonna get like, i think that's such a clever self uh diagnosis or or understanding oh, yeah. of oneself and then writing that i think that's really clever yeah i mean it's a great story little mermaid has survived even now like Everybody loves it. I think if you didn't know this story, you're going to watch it again sort of with a, through a different lens now. But yeah, he is clearly a talented writer. He just needed 
uh, it was his way of sort of fueling the feelings he was having. But at the same time, he was also writing letters to this man saying, you need yeah. to come back to me and kiss me. And like that, that bit's the no-no. Well, most, most writers who are very good do have a terrible life going on. They do say like, you know, um, a lot of comedians, as funny as they are, are generally some of the most depressed people out there. Oh, of course. Like Robin Williams um, example number one robin williams is a really good example um uh edgar Allan poe is someone i've been desperate to write an episode on one day mm. um but obviously yeah uh, amazing writer <laughs> some fantastic stories and bits and bobs but you know yeah. troubled individual yeah a lot of artists like van gogh as well just so oh, deeply yeah. deeply ups- like upset that's a bad word depressed so the reality is a lot of artists in any form, are just depressed most of the time. That's why they do what they do, just to yeah, make just sense channel of it their all. Emotions and we're all their work. We're all consuming, going, "Oh, that's brilliant! I love that!" And they're saying, "Like, yeah, it's really Help. bad." <laughs> yeah. However, even though we've just said that it was really nice and a good way to channel his his feelings, Edvard was obviously a little bit creeped out that this book had been published about him and made it so Anderson could not attend his wedding. Anderson took this as the moment to stop trying to break off this engagement and instead he threw himself into his writing. That's not to say that Anderson still didn't write letters. When Edvard's daughter died at the age of 16, Anderson decided to write him a letter, not to offer him comfort that his daughter had just died, but to complain that Edvard had forgotten about his birthday. (laughs) Wow, that is... That is... uh... (laughs) That is some self-centred attitude isn't it that that to me i was like okay th- that this is the point where i was like this man is a full-on narcissist yeah yeah is he like un, un like you you've been hinting at it but like do you think he's genuinely just unable to feel that uh sense of like empathy for other people mm. i, I think like, so and maybe as well like maybe he's not able to feel it himself which is why he writes about it but he can't feel it himself it's probably why he can't connect with anyone um, yeah, he's so. De- it should be said as well. Like, I don't know how to. He's not the best looking man in the world. No, I had a look of. Uh, I had a look at a picture of him, and yeah, no, he's not. Uh, he's he not was not blessed looking. with looks, um, which I no. don't think helped him in any of his romantic endeavors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I can't believe he did that though. <laughs> yeah, that's a fucking. Even no, no matter how much you get rejected, that is a dickhead thing to do. I wonder if there was even a suggestion, like even a mention of the dead daughter, or if it was just like, hi, Edvard, how you doing? By the way, you forgot my fucking birthday. Oh, yeah, sorry, your daughter's dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So if the next part of the story is anything to go by, it proves that you should never listen to your critics. Anderson published fairy tales for both adults and children, and he also wrote a number of plays. And his critics really went for him and tried to belittle his work. But as we can see today, his stories are still much loved. His plays were also a huge financial success, and Anderson quickly became a very wealthy artist, rubbing shoulders with the elite, although he was still socially difficult. So if I mention the name Jenny Lynn to you, does that ring a bell? No. For some of our listeners, they're probably screaming The Greatest Showman right now because in that movie, Jenny is the woman who captures the attention of P.T. Barnum and sings Never Enough. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So Jenny was Swedish, and after she met Anderson, he fell head over heels in love with her. However, heartbreakingly, she liked him, but as a friend. We've all been oh. there. <laughs> it's a tough one to take. <laughs> Your friend zone, bless him. Right, but yeah. does he actually like her? Uh, is he? Is he I gay? Think he, is he bisexual? He's bisexual? I think he's right, bisexual. Okay. I think that makes sense. Yeah, he's so he's bisexual, and he's just he's seen another pretty woman who's got a talent, and he's like, oh my god. But <laughs> we get onto it in a little bit as it. well. Like all, of, he's not physical in any way. He has no physical urges. Hmm. He just wants to be loved. Is it's, it's quite it's quite sad, really. Um. Mm. After she rejected him, he, yet again, wrote many diary entries where he whined that he didn't love her anymore because he would have given her the world, whereas she had just treated him so badly. When in reality, she just didn't want to be with him. Um, and he's a pick-me boy, is how I've described him here. A pick-me. <laughs> he, yeah, he's just one of the, he just whines and whines. If Tumblr was around in his time, he would have been all mm. over it. Oh, 100%. He'd have music on his page and everything. Yeah, he, he's... Uh, I never liked her anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the biggest mistake she's ever going to make. <laughs> He'd be playing Beyonce loud. <laughs> still, he was still a world-famous writer, and he was now finding himself at parties with massive names. He then ventured to London, where he met Charles Dickens. And then, a decade later... Dickens invited him to stay at his home. If you haven't got this impression by now, Anderson was an awful house guest. This story <laughs> is quite funny. He arrived at the home and expected everyone to wait on him hand and foot like they did in Denmark. And given that Dickens was famously a man of the people who wouldn't really have servants, he was also going through a pretty tough divorce at the time, which meant Anderson had to wash his own clothes and do stuff like that, which I know is just awful. Mm. While at the house, Anderson received a bad review for one of his recent publications and apparently ran into the garden and began wailing into the grass. The Dickens family could not wait to get this man out of their home. He was meant to stay for one week, but he ended up staying for five. Wow. He just didn't leave, and he was just horrendous. I love that. Like, um, and how do you approach that? Like, you'd be like, yo, Hans, um, when is your train, by the way? Like, Because everything curious. you say to him, he's just going to break down. So you can't, oh, like, yeah. you just can't talk to him. And this is Charles Dickens. <laughs> this is one of the biggest writers of all times. And he doesn't yeah. know how to approach this man. 
yeah, yeah, this guy can write anything, but he can't approach this guy. And as you mentioned, Dickens is going through some shit. Like he's going through a divorce as well. As far, am I right in thinking this is the wife that he's trying to get put in in, in an asylum as well? Oh, I don't, I don't know the details. Maybe. Do you remember that? Um, we, I do. We spoke about um, how Dickens could be a bit of a, a dick. Ins. Um, <laughs> he at one point tried to get his wife just put it straight up in a. Uh, I think he tried to get her put in a, an asylum because he just didn't like her or something for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, Anderson's just outdoing him here on the dickhead scale. So after Anderson eventually left the house after five weeks, Dickens wrote him one more letter and then the pair never spoke again. Wow. I imagine that letter was, please never come back. That was the worst experience of my life. Yeah. I bet he was out of messy git as well. Like I bet he'd like he's the kind of person he'd make a sandwich but he wouldn't use the breadboard. Yeah, just crumbs everywhere, expecting crumbs. people to do his washing up. Uh, yeah, there'd be jam still on the knife that's just been left on the side, and that's now on the on the on the countertop as well. It's just dripping on there. He's left the taps yeah. on because you know someone normally turns that off for me. Yeah, he's just he's just rude, isn't he? Yeah. Anderson, despite his family and wealth, was still quite difficult about it all. In his diary, he wrote, "I am dejected, wish to die, and yet to live. Have no desire to be here at home, and yet I don't feel happy anywhere else. What's in store for me?" Why have I turned back? He's fully depressed. It, it is, but it's also just like... Ugh, there's people that are depressed, and then there's people that you just like, get fucking over yourself. Yeah. yeah. I imagine he was insufferable to be around. Oh, God, yeah. I bet he's like he's wallowing all the time. He just he's drags like, everyone else down. Proper energy vampire. Yeah, but read that, read that bit again, because there was a bit you were saying... His uh, quote. Read that, yeah. I am dejected wish to die and yet to live have no desire to be here at home and yet i know that i don't feel happy anywhere else what's that in bit. store for me why have i turned back that bit where he's like i uh wish to be uh, i don't want to was it i don't want to be at home all the time but i also Basically, have nowhere yeah. to go outside like i feel that i get that like especially when you're depressed and like you kind of you want the social company but you also can't bear the idea of it and like you're you're then stuck in this like anxiety limbo. You're like, well, I, I'd rather just not be here at all. But also, I do quite like going out for a walk every now and then because that's quite nice. I'd like to just sort of go outside and have some friends, but also maybe only twenty minutes because then my social batteries are drained. I'd really like to just stay at home. Um, yeah, you're stuck in limbo. I kind of get it. I feel it. Um, bless him. Yeah. Bless him. <laughs> yeah, he's annoying. Granted, I get that. He's so fucking annoying, but <laughs> he needs someone to talk to. He needs a good friend, and I don't think he necessarily... Well, maybe he has one in Edvard, but he's just taken it too far. Yeah, he had friends. He did have He did have friends. He was good at making friends. He also had people that hated him because of how annoying he was. Um, He was well, never short of people to talk to. Well, what he really needs then is, a, is a, like a therapist. Oh, yeah, 100%. He, he thought that being in love would solve all of his problems as well which yeah. i feel like many people in today's modern world do and then realize that you get into a relationship and like your life isn't just magically better afterwards but also think about um the world in which he's grown up in right so he has grown up in a loving family that you know has brought him up and he can't for whatever reason achieve that yeah and that must be really annoying and quite painful to yeah. not be able to replicate what 
his family was able to do. He can't do that. He is the ugly duckling in this situation. Just literally, um, yep, there you go. He's unable to do what it is that made him who he is. Uh, I find that so interesting that he can't do that. And like, you know, you look all around. I've spoke to, you know, lots of people about this where if you grow up and your parents are together all your life, your your um your opinion and image and thoughts on what a relationship is is different to someone like me whose parents split up when I was very young. Um mm. because as far as I'm concerned and, and this is something I've had to work on over years and years and years. And even still today, like it's something that I have to work on. If 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 I have I grew up where if if mum um, and dad have an argument, they split up. That's yeah. the end of the relationship because when I was a kid, all I'd hear is arguments and then they split up. So yeah. for me, going into relationships, I've had to really work at this because if we have a disagreement, if we have an argument, and you know, Jenna and I have had barmies a few times and whatnot, that's okay. You can yeah, move on past that. That's actually fine. Whereas my instinct is to go, well, well this must be it then. Like that, That's it. <laughs> that's a relationship done. We clearly can't get past this minor inconvenience of what to have for dinner. Um, <laughs> so like for him growing up, he's seen his family being this pristine, perfect model of what he needs to do as he grows up. And he just, for whatever reason, can't do that. And that must be yeah. so irritating, infuriating. So no, that was a massive it. TED talk. No, it's, it's a good tangent. <laughs> I think for me as well, because my, I'm very fortunate that my parents are still together. The like when I've been in relationships and the relationships have ended, I'm confused because I'm like, what, what, like, what do you mean? People don't split up. Like you stay together. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I, for I, me, I get really confused by it. For me, it's the opposite. I'm like, well, it was, it was bound to happen anyway. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I hope no one's ever split up with me again. It's not nice. <laughs> Same, bro. <laughs> I've never in all my life ever instigated a breakup ever. Like even if it is horrendous, I'll be like, "Nah, it's fine. We can we can sort this out." That is a bad trait. It. I I, I pride myself on working through things, but there have been moments <laughs> where I should have walked away and didn't. But I I had my own Christian Anderson once. Um, I I went on four dates with a girl. Four mm. dates. Remember that number. Four dates. Okay. And these were just you know. Um, meet up for a coffee you know uh, i think we went to thought park at one point wow that's uh, a good date. that was the last one and that was only because i had merlin tickets so i was <laughs> able to go for free um but uh yeah we went on four dates and after four dates um i, I she she was an all right girl i quite liked her she was she was fun um but uh and, and not in a dodgy way either like she was genuinely like, a really nice person but just not for me i just i yeah. knew it was, no, no, I wasn't it. yeah wasn't for me um so I let her down gently and was like, hey, I'm really sorry, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, she went fucking mental, bro. Like, really? She went crazy. Um, she's like, I've told my mum, my nan all about you. I'm just waiting for you to come and meet them. She's like, I've still got all of the tickets and receipts from all of our dates. And I'm like... But that's a pride thing. If, if, if people immediately go, I've told my family about you, they don't want the embarrassment of going to tell their family, oh, it's ended. Yeah. So that, yeah, exactly minute, that that's not about you at that point. That's them. You've dented their yeah. pride. And I was just like, mate, we've been on four dates, and you just think we're gonna have for the yeah. Know, it's the not dog, that deep. Like years long relationship, is it? Yeah, like four dates. Come on, four dates, and you've kept all the receipts. That seems a bit. Ugh. It's fine I mean, though. She's married. She's married now. That's fine. <laughs> she actually. <laughs> yeah, she's now married. Yeah. Oh, she found her happy ever after. Happy <laughs> for her. her happy. Yeah, and she's got the house. She's got the cats. Um. People so just well want different things, you. don't they? Some people just want their life to, like, 
family picket fence everything really early and yeah. some people just don't and when those two opposite people get matched together it fucking hell mm. yeah anyway sorry we just went on a huge tangent there no it's good it's people like to learn about us i think we've never heard anything opposite so i'm going to assume they do <laughs> yeah Harold Scharf, a 21-year-old dancer, became the next fixation of Anderson's. Despite declaring himself depressed, Anderson noted that when he was in Paris with Scharf, he didn't feel sad anymore. So when the depression came back when they split, the author thought this 21-year-old was the cure. This is what makes me think Anderson's not actually depressed, he's just a bit sad. Because depression isn't something that just goes away when you go on a trip. Like, if you are depressed and you go on holiday you're not then not depressed, you're just depressed on holiday. Yes. Yes. You can, you can have moments where you feel better, but generally depression is an illness. Yeah. It's not something that just fucking goes away. Yeah, no, I, no you're, right, you're right in the sense that you can't just, you know, um, go to a party and you'll feel amazing again. You can, you'll be in a party and you'll just feel like a bag of shit still. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I get where you're going with that. You can be on holiday and it just doesn't work. This is, I've known people that have, like, I know you've got plans to move to Australia, but, like, they have thought that moving to Australia will solve all of their life problems, and then they get to Australia, and then they realise, oh, fuck, I've still got the same problems, and now I'm in Australia, and you're just halfway <laughs> across the world. It's like when Michael Scott thinks he can just hop on a train and get out of bankruptcy. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Your problems follow you. But then I've also had friends that have gone to Australia and now have partners over there and are living the best life, so... It Thank works. you for giving balance to that. <laughs> yeah, you needed it. I know you've got plans. Scharf <laughs> yeah. was already with someone, however. And also, Anderson is way too old for him at this point. So back to the drawing board. Multiple friends told Anderson that he was just incredibly sexually frustrated and just needed to get it out of his system and then he'd be a much happier person. Because at this point, the man had never had sex. And to be fair, like, everyone's a human being. Yeah. So multiple friends took him to brothels in places like Portugal and Paris, and every time Anderson would panic and just not do anything. Oh, bless him. On some occasions, he would even just sit there having a chat with the sex worker. He'd then pay them for their time and just leave. Oh. Oh, I, do you know what? It's this bit sad. It's, it's kind of cute. Like, it's sad. Yeah. But like, I'm sure there are might... lots of people that do that. He might be asexual. This is what I was thinking. Like, he might just want a romantic connection, just be not sexually attracted to anyone. Yeah. Yeah, no, you might be right. Yeah. I'm I'm convinced there's lots of people that do that. They'll they'll hire a, you know, a, a, an escort or something, and they just, they just want the company. Oh, the, I think it's a big thing. I remember watching a documentary once. Like, it was male escorts for, like, older women, and they just want to go out for dinner and have a chat. No sex, nothing. And then they pay you for your time, and then that's that. It's like the Emma Thompson movie, isn't it? Emma Thompson, which movie? Uh, it's, a, it's her latest movie where she's like, you know, she hires a younger male sex worker to sort of, you know, make her feel good again. Yeah. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, your loneliness is one hell of a fucking thing to go through. It's, yeah. it's rough. Anderson is getting on a bit at this point and he withdrew into himself and became angry at the world. He lived alone and his love for writing was all but gone. He began showing signs of liver cancer and on August 4th, 1875, he died. He has since been declared a national treasure in Denmark 
and his funeral brought hundreds of mourners to the street. Despite never finding the love he so desperately thought that he craved, he achieved the goal of the Little Mermaid and became immortal. Mm. He was buried in Copenhagen and had two graves set next to him to Edvard and for Edvard's wife. And they were buried there when they died themselves a decades later, but then they were later moved away, leaving Anderson once again by himself. (laughs) (laughs) Even in death, this man is just fucking tormented. Oh, I wonder why they were moved. I don't know. I have no idea. That's sad. That's sad. Like, the, the Edvard... I mean, I'm assuming, you know, graves are, you know, they cost a lot of money. So, I wonder whether, you know, I'm sure they could probably afford their own graves. But Edvard was from a very wealthy but, family. Oh, right. Yeah, they could definitely afford their own graves, right? So, the fact that he was like, you know, he knows that his friend is just too into him and he can't, you know, be with him on that sense. But he was like, listen, all right, fine. I'll, I'll be buried next to you at least, you know, fucking hell. Yeah. With his wife. Nice. I think it's kind of nice for Anderson as well to leave a spot for his wife, who he clearly fucking hated. Like, he would have despised this woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he knows Edvard's not going to do it if she don't. Yeah. And then he's still alone. I imagine you can go and visit his grave in Denmark, and like Ryan said, you I... can go and see the statue of the little mermaid. I have a feeling that Hans Christian Andersen's grave is in Copenhagen. It is in Copenhagen. Um, I've seen it then. I've been past it. or I've been past the cemetery where he oh, is. Interesting. Um, I I must have seen it and just not realised at the time. Um, but I, re- yeah, I remember probably. when I was walking around Copenhagen, I saw quite a few uh, like statuettes and plaques and stuff to Hans Christian Andersen. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's really interesting. Um, so, yeah, mm. I've seen some bits. And, yeah, I've seen The Little Mermaid, and she is fucking little. Um, yeah, she, she's, she's a little mermaid. Very, very underwhelming um because she's like just perched on a wee rock and it looks quite nice and you're like oh she's small and you can get right up to her you can get very close to her but then on the other side of the water is just like some industrial stuff and you're like that kind of ruins the whole look (laughs) but yeah Yeah, i imagine it didn't look like that with anderson's but it's so clear to see that he put himself into all of his works a man who was deeply troubled and thought of himself as different from the rest of the world He had a strong desire to be loved and yet couldn't figure out how to connect with people for a sustained period. And what's more, he was fucking annoying. That being said, we still love his work today, even if Disney has changed it. But James, this was a Christmas episode. I know it wasn't really at no point since the start have we even mentioned the word Christmas, but here we go. Um, He did write The Snow Queen, which was then frozen loosely. And the little match girl. So I'm classifying this, like we did Dickens, as a Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. So I thought we would end the episode with the little match girl story. Um, and as I cast it, as I cast it, as I tell it, cast your mind back to the start of the episode where he was from a loving family, including his grandmother. So Ryan, if you want to do all the classic social outro goodbye shit now, we can probably end with the the nice Christmas story to send people off into into Christmas. Yeah, okay. Or just um, whatever else you I've have to say. Heard. Yeah, I've never heard this story anyway. Oh, I've never heard it? Okay, because I was going to suggest that I record it separately because it's about five <laughs> minutes long. But you know what? I'll tell it to you. It's fine. Yeah, I hear it. Uh, <laughs> um, damn, uh, that's fucking wild. Um, I quite like this. He's he's very much an arty guy, and a lot of arty guys are, 
you know different i think is that is is the right way of saying it what what i find weird is that like you know oscar wilde is around at a similarish time isn't he uh i have no idea i'm going to assume i'm gonna quickly Um, type his name into google yeah well i'm gonna assume he is and we know that oscar wilde is is gay and famously Mm -hmm. yeah died in 1900 right so how is it that oscar wilde is able to sort of you know indulge in his you know fancies i still think he was heavily frowned upon though wasn't he i don't think he was like oh yeah 100 percent. but like it's not that you couldn't find this stuff i think you're right in that he just doesn't necessarily want that stuff what he really wants is a partner and there's a difference between finding you know uh, 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 a young man who will give up his bottom for some pence um And there's a difference between a young man that will do that and an actual guy who just is, you know, will want to be with you. But then, like you said, we think he's bisexual, right? So it's just that he's just unfortunate. He's not very good looking. Um, He can't connect with a human being on that kind of level. And so people don't want to be with him. That's sad. He's a bit of an incel. He is a bit of an incel, but he was also very rich. So I I think if he really wanted to get some sort of arm candy, he probably could. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know like, if existed afford... back in those days, but yeah, but he yes, I mean he could afford to buy this love. But I think that he was so desperate for a fairy tale. That's what he wanted through his whole life. He wanted to be the main character of a fairy tale story, and it just never happened because life isn't a fairy tale, as people yeah find out very often. Yeah, and and I think you you hit the nail on the head there. As someone who writes fairy tales, he wanted something that was just not a real thing. Yeah, he's made something up in his own head. Life would never reach his expectations, which is why I think he struggled to forge connections with people because the connections he wrote about were a lot deeper than what you can feasibly make in real life. Hmm. Yeah. What an intense guy. It's just weird, isn't it? I didn't expect. Honestly, when I started researching it, I was like, "Where's this going to go?" And it took a lot of turns I didn't expect. Just a man who just had no idea who he was. Yeah. Hooray for the uh, non-toxic masculinity, though. Just being like fluid man. I love that. Yeah, for sure. I think in a modern world, he would have got on a lot better. I think Because he would have be been right. able to just be who he wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right there. Uh, I like I like sometimes putting, you know, historical figures in our time to see how they get on. And you're right. Hans Christian Andersen, I think, would be absolutely fine in today's I think world. he'd class himself... Because he classed himself as part woman in his diary, so I think he'd probably identify as non-binary, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, good spot. Maybe. Anyway, right. Well, uh, thank you very much for that. That's genuinely quite fascinating. Um, I didn't realise that that Christian Andersen would be so... One... Weird is the wrong word, because he's not necessarily weird. He's just unfortunate in so in, in some ways. But um, I didn't realise it was going to go that route. Thank you very much. Um, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, we will have, in the next episode, we are doing our New Year Roundup Quiz of the Year thing. Uh, we're going to talk about the show, how it's been, sort of got on throughout the year. Uh, talk about some of the stats, what are your favourite episodes, all that kind of stuff back out there again, um, which I really enjoy doing. I love sort of having a little roundup of the year and talking it through. Um, some of you guys have sent in some questions for us as well, which we're going to be answering on the show, so look forward to that. And yeah, 
I hope you have a wonderful Christmas uh, with all your family, whoever you're spending it with, whatever you're doing. I hope you just have a really good time. Uh, fill your face or not. Drink everything or not. <laughs> you just have to cover every basis now. Um, yeah, you do, you yeah. do whatever you want to do. You do whatever makes you happy. And uh, yeah, we will see you for the new year special episode uh, on New Year's Eve. So look forward to that, guys. Um, thank you very much. And uh, James, tell us the story. Yeah, the most depressing Christmas story ever. <laughs> I'm going to put some nice music on now. Yeah, maybe like make it feel cold if you can with like wind or snow. I don't know. You'll figure okay. it out. Yeah, I'll do that. It was so terribly cold. Snow was falling and it was almost dark. Evening came on, the last evening of the year. In the cold and gloom, a poor little girl, bareheaded and barefoot, she was walking through the streets. Of course, when she had left her house, she'd had her slippers on, but what good had they been? They were very big slippers, way too big for her, for they belonged to her mother. The little girl had lost them running across the road, where two carriages had rattled by terribly fast. One slipper she had not been able to find again, and a boy had run off with the other, saying he could use it very well as a cradle some day when he had children of his own. And so when the little girl walked on her naked feet, which were quite red and blue with the cold. In an old apron, she carried several packages of matches. She held a box of them in her hand. No one had bought any from her all day long, and no one had given her a cent. Shivering with cold and hunger, she crept along, a picture of misery, poor little girl. The snowflakes fell on her long, fair hair, which hung in pretty curls over her neck. In all the windows, lights were shining, and there was a wonderful smell of roast goose, for it was New Year's Eve. Yes, she thought of that. In a corner formed by two houses, one of which projected farther onto the street than the other, she sat down and drew up her little feet under her. She was getting colder and colder, but did not dare go home, for she had sold no matches, nor earned a single cent, and her family would surely beat her. Besides, it was cold at home, for they had nothing over them but a roof, through which the wind whistled, even through the biggest cracks had been stuffed with straw and rags. Her hands were almost dead with cold. Oh, how one little match might warm her. If she could only take one from the box and rub it against the wall and warm her hands. She drew one out, Raratch! how it spluttered and burned. It made a warm, bright flame, like a little candle. As she held her hands over it, it gave a strange light. It really seemed to the little girl as if she was sitting before a great iron stove with shining brass knobs and a brass corner. How wonderfully the fire burned, how comfortable it was. The youngster stretched out her feet to warm them too. Then the little flame went out, the stove vanished, and she only had the remains of the burnt match in her hand. She struck another match against the wall. It burned brightly, and when the light fell upon the wall, it became transparent like a thin veil, and so she could see through into a room. On the table, a snow-white cloth was spread. On it stood a shining dinner service. The roast goose steamed gloriously, stuffed with prunes and apples. And what was still better, the goose jumped down from the dish and waddled along the floor with a knife and fork in its breast right over to the little girl. Then the match went out, and she could only see the thick, cold wall. She lighted another match. 
Then she was sitting under the most beautiful Christmas tree. It was larger and much more beautiful than the one she'd seen last Christmas through the glass door at the rich merchant's home. Thousands of candles burned on the green branches and coloured pictures like those in the print shops looked down at her. The little girl reached both of her hands towards them and then the match went out. But the Christmas lights mounted higher. She saw them now as bright stars in the sky. One of them fell down, forming a long line of fire. Now someone is dying, thought the little girl, for her old grandmother, the only person who had loved her and who was now dead, had told her that when a star fell down, a soul went up to God. She rubbed another match against the wall. It became bright again, and in the glow, the old grandmother stood clear and shining, kind and lovely. Grandmother, cried the child, I'll take me with you. I know you will disappear when the match is burned out. You will vanish like the warm stove, the wonderful roast goose and the beautiful big Christmas tree. She quickly struck the whole bunch of matches, for she wished to keep her grandmother with her, and the matches burned with such a glow that it became brighter than daylight. Grandmother had never been so grand and beautiful. She took the little girl in her arms, and both of them flew into the brightness and joy above the earth, very, very high, and up there was neither cold, nor hunger, nor fear. They were with God. But in the corner, leaning against the wall, sat the little girl with red cheeks and smiling mouth, frozen to death on the last evening of the old year. The New Year's sun rose upon a pathetic little figure. The child sat there, stiff and cold, holding the matches, of which one bundle was almost burnt. She wanted to warm herself, the people said. No one imagined what beautiful things she had seen and how happily she had gone with her old grandmother into the bright new year. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.